0: Yes yes. yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me
1: set the table. Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you could make it. the questions
0: I ask myself
1: when I question... Well, Table family, how are we? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Isaac, nice transition, by the way. I see what you were doing there. Set the table. Yeah, that was good. Well, hey, uh, if we haven't met each other, like Isaac said, my name is David. I serve on the missions team here. And uh, if you have a Bible, I'd love to uh, invite you to open up to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, that's where we're going to camp out tonight. And um, to set up where we're going, um, I'd love to take you back to the year of 2016. Um, I was on my very first mission trip. Anybody on a mission trip before? Anybody going to Puerto Rico? Hey, there they are. They're my people. Well, I was headed to uh, Port-au-Prince, Haiti and uh, we were taking a group of college students there, and I was super, super excited to get on a plane and go there. You know, I was on Google searching, hey, how do I share my faith? Uh, I was Googling, uh, what about Haitian culture? I need to learn about that. Um, I was trying to figure out like what missionaries were, so I basically became a brand ambassador for North Face and Chacos, right? <laughs> that's, that's pretty much, uh, you know, I gotta look the part, right? So I get on an airplane, and we go to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And we're there, and the first night's amazing, so meaningful. Um, But the second morning, uh, our trip leader tells us this. She says, hey, uh, we are going to go into a neighborhood, a village um, in Haiti, and we're going to share the gospel, um, do evangelism. That's the church word for it. And we're going to paint houses and show compassion ministry. And that's basically what you do on a mission trip if you've never been on one. So I say, Cool. I am super prepared for this, I thought. So we, uh, we go into the, the village and we come to a home. And at this home, there's basically a, a mom, uh, her kids, and what seems to be the mom of the mom, the grandmother. Um, we notice that the grandmother is lying on her side and seems to be sick. So we're feeling the empathy, we're trying to figure out how to care for her well, but then the trip leader says, ask us this question. Um, Would anyone like to pray for her healing? Now, I wasn't prepared for that question. My body immediately got stiff and I started asking questions like, um, is it okay for me to pray for someone's healing? What happens if I ask God to do this and he doesn't do it? What happens to her faith um, if God doesn't heal her? What happens to her kid's faith, uh, her grandkid's faith? And I feel the weight of praying for this woman and her healing because of all of these theological and all of these pastoral implications of that simple question. Hey, would you like to pray for her healing? After that trip, and as I was preparing for tonight, I realized that I was asking this question. How do we care for the sick? My suspicion is that many of you tonight have asked that very same question. Or, you know a friend that's asking that very question, and the reality is, if you are that person that knows someone who may be asking that question, um, here's reality. Um, All of us are gonna be sick one day. Or, or rather should I say, and, we'll know someone, a loved one, that was sick also. The reality is that many of us in the room are gonna be husbands who need to care for their wives who are sick. Uh, Many of us will be wives who need to care for their husband who's sick. Many of us will be parents. Maybe some of your kids will be sick. Some of you may be here tonight and a family member was maybe, uh, maybe recently diagnosed and received bad news. Maybe you're asking that question as well. Or maybe you yourself are sick and you've maybe been sick for a long time and maybe people haven't cared for you in a helpful and appropriate way because they've never been taught a model. That was me. That's why I felt so awkward in that moment and so anxious and was trying to do the right thing, but didn't really have a model for how to do that. And that's why we're going to answer that question from the Bible tonight. How do we care for the sick? Before we jump in, i love to pray for us. Is that cool? Sweet. Jesus, uh, we love you. And uh, God, we are hopeful that you will bring clarity and um, hope. For us tonight, who may be helpless and who may know some people who feel hopeless, God, I, I ask um, desperately that you would help me to be clear, um, help me to speak what you want me to speak, and uh, help me to teach from the Bible. We love you, and we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in John chapter five. Um, if you've been with us for a few weeks now, we've been uh, basically studying the book of John. It's in the New Testament. It's a gospel, and. Uh, We've unpacked some really helpful things. Good job by Isaac and and the team in preparing these messages. But we're going to be in John chapter 5 tonight. We're going to start in verse 1 and read through verse 17. Read along with me. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, I love this, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. So as we try to answer tonight this question of how do we care for the sick, I think maybe a helpful uh, place to start is uh, starting a conversation around this place called the pool at Bethesda. I'm gonna put on my New Testament scholar hat here and just kinda unpack what that place is. Um, Back in the New Testament, um, people called invalids would congregate around this pool called Bethesda. And basically what this means is it was a house of mercy. That's what Bethesda means. You may be asking, why would people gather there at this random pool? Well, legend has it that uh, the pool at Bethesda, what basically happened there was an angel would come down, stir up some water, and then the first one in the pool would be healed. So think about it almost like a hospital waiting room. People were waiting to be taken back to a doctor to diagnose them, to treat them, to perform a surgery. This is kind of the vibe of this pool at Bethesda okay? Some of y'all hate hospitals, and you're like, oh, David, that was not a good illustration. But um, this is the scene that Jesus is walking into. Now, you may be maybe a little concerned about the choice of word that the, that the Bible uses there, invalid. You may think that's kind of offensive, and I could totally see how you would think that, but here's why that word is used. It's because it describes these people's experience. Um, These were people who had spent their whole life feeling dependent on other people, feeling like they uh, had two strikes against them early on in life. These are people who felt a strong sense of despair. They had been waiting for healing for years, and it had not come yet. So they were putting their faith in this legend that probably wasn't true for healing. This is the scene that Jesus walks into, but there wasn't... um, the man by the pool that Jesus heals probably felt this sense of despair and the sense of hopelessness more than anyone else. Go back to the text. Notice how uh, notice this interaction that he has uh, with Jesus, starting in verse five. One man was there who had been an invalid for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, "Do you want to be healed?" The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. This man that Jesus has this interaction with was probably a paraplegic. And so um, he's probably lying on the ground for years, for decades. That 38 years, that's about as long as a life expectancy was during that time that this story is happening. So you can imagine the hopelessness and the despair that this man is feeling. And not only that, but he has no one to help him. Absolutely no one. He has been lying there for years waiting for someone to help him. But then Jesus comes onto the scene. And Jesus steps in. But that man, if you can imagine, was feeling so uh, hopeless and feeling such a strong sense of despair um, he was probably asking, "How long is this gonna? How long is this gonna last? This is taking forever for me to experience healing. It's almost like um, if you're going to uh, get some Lord's chicken. What I mean by that is Chick Fil A. <laughs> okay, and you go around the time of like 5:30 or 6: Right? What's the line like? It's like wrapped around like three times, and it takes you forever. My wife and I were there last night. Um, Sammy said I want some ice cream and I said let's get some ice cream and so we go to Chick-fil-A and we get there and we're like oh no this is going to take forever it was worth it in the end because not only is there Lord's chicken at Chick-fil-A there's the Lord's ice cream right <laughs> so this is what the man was experiencing I don't want to make light of that but he was, he was asking that question man. how long is this going to take I just want to be healed but then Jesus comes onto the scene let's notice what he does Starting in, uh, starting in verse 8. Jesus said to him, Get up. Take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Um, here's what I want to make abundantly clear tonight. Jesus can do the impossible. Jesus can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. He is king. And he'll do as he see fits. Um, healing... In miracles, he's got that. He's got that under control. Here's my tension. Here's my tension, when I'll read passages like this and other passages in Scripture where Jesus does some sort of miracle. The tension I feel and the question I ask, and maybe you're asking it now, is why did Jesus only heal one man? The Bible says there were multitudes of these people that were called invalids, laying there by the pool, waiting for healing, but Jesus only healed one of them. He had the power to do it. He can do the impossible. He can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Why would he only pick one? Let me bring this a little closer to home. Why would Jesus not heal my friend Matt? Let me take you back to my junior year of high school. Uh, Me and my buddies were at a a basketball game. Shout out Lake Nona High School. None of y'all care about that. Um, (laughs) Go Lions. But go Lions. I see you. I see you back there. Um, Oh, that was my sister. Hey. What's up? (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Uh, My little brother goes to Boone High School now. And so, like, there's, like, this weird, like, rivalry, like, you know those, like, signs on the back of cards where it's, like, house divided. Like, have y'all seen that? That's our home now, basically. But anyway, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was at a basketball game with my buddies, and we're cheering, you know, we're into the game, but we noticed our friend named Matt hadn't come to the game yet. He was supposed to. About halftime, um, he comes to the doors, and he looks somber, and he looks sad he looks fearful and anxious and worried and, dare I say, even a little angry. Um, we were a little worried about Matt. and we're like, what the heck, this isn't like him. And come to find out, he had just come from a doctor's appointment. He'd be diagnosed with cancer. As a junior in high school, I was forced to reckon with this question, frankly, the problem of evil. And how do I care for my friend in this situation? Um, but Matt's still alive today, but he had to go through chemo. And he had to go through radiation, and he was on track to go play college soccer one day, and he had great grades, and he was part of SGA. He had this life mapped out for him, and cancer kind of derailed that for a, for a season. We prayed. I prayed. My youth group prayed for, for Matt to be healed, but he wasn't. He's cancer-free. Praise God. But there was no healing at the pool of Bethesda for Matt. And maybe you've observed Uh, if you're new to to the church or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you're just kind of here checking it out but you've observed that um, most people do not experience some sort of miraculous healing. That's not the normative experience. And so as a junior in high school, I was forced to reckon with this question of why did Jesus only heal one man? Well, I think the answer to that question is found in a few verses down. Um, The first is is verse 14. Jesus says to the man, he says, sin no more so that nothing worse may happen to you. I find it so interesting that um, Jesus heals the man, but then the next time he sees him, he's not like, dude, I'm so happy for you. See, you're well. He doesn't just leave it at that. He says, sin no more, but nothing may happen to you. Here's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Um, When Jesus performs a miracle, it's it's really not about the miracle. Miracles always contain a message. Okay, Jesus, another word for uh, miracles is signs. Um, Jesus performs signs to point us to himself, to point us towards him as a savior. Um, Throughout the Bible, we see God intersecting into human history and the lives of um, people to perform some sort of sign or a miracle, but that's not the normative experience for most people. Signs and miracles are one way out of a number of ways that God uses to call people to himself. Okay. He's on a mission to redeem man. That's why he sent Jesus to intersect into human history. Part of his ministry was performing these miracles because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to send us a message of hope and grace and restoration. Think about it this way. Okay, any Disney fans in the room? Okay, that's like the whole room. Man, y'all are from Orlando or something. Um, uh, when you're driving on a Disney property, okay, when you're driving on a Disney property, right, you see the big dare I say, kind of obnoxious sign that says, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Someone over here is like, get off the stage, bro. Um, says Walt Disney World, where dreams come true, right? That sign indicates that you've arrived on Disney property. But the reality is, is you're not yet at the Magic Kingdom, right? Miracles act as a sign that points us to a reality that one day we will fully experience the kingdom of God, but currently we don't yet, okay? There's another question that I asked myself after reading this passage, and it's simply this. Um, What hope is there for the multitudes that Jesus did not heal? Let me bring this a little closer home. What hope is there for my friend Matt? What hope is there for the lady in Haiti that I have no idea if she was healed or not? What hope is there for your family member that may have just been diagnosed with a disease, an illness, a disability, a sickness? What hope is there one day when our spouses get sick? What hope is there one day when our kids get sick? What hope is there one day when we, when David Branch gets sick? Well, I think the answer, and I love this, is found in verse 17 of this passage. Let's go back to it. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Now you may be asking, what work is Jesus doing? What work is he talking about there? Well, if I could, I'd love to take you to Revelation 21. I don't know if it'll be on the screen yet, but I'm just going to read it to you, okay? Is it on the screen? Oh, y'all are awesome. Shout out them. Yeah, you club it up. They're the, best. They're the best. Notice with me what, what uh, Jesus says here. Or John, rather, is recording what Jesus said. He said, And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. But he doesn't just stop there. Notice what he says there after that. He said, Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy what's the last word? True. Jesus will make all things new, table. That may come through a miracle for some of us. The vast majority of us, that may come in eternity, but you can rest on the promise that Jesus will make all things new. You may be experiencing some sort of sickness, illness, or someone close to you may be experiencing that. You can rest and assure them that we are headed in the direction of perfection. Of the ideal, of taking us back to the Garden of Eden where everything was the way it should be. Jesus will make all things new. Evil doesn't stand a chance against what Jesus is driving history Towards, He is king. And he will do as he sees fit. And he's good. And he's God. And he will make all things new because that is his character. That's who he is. So tonight, wherever you're at, if you're feeling helpless, if you're feeling hopeless, God may do a miracle. But one day, he will most definitely make all things new. But this begs the question, though, if there's this tension between some may experience a miracle one day, but for the vast majority of us, we won't, because that's just not how God chooses to act. The question remains, how do we care for people who are sick? And I feel this burden to be as practical as possible, because growing up, I really wasn't given a model on how to do this well. Like, I wasn't taught how to do this, and I felt awkward in that moment in Haiti, because I was, all of the theological implications of pastoring and ministering in this uh, situation were at stake here, and I felt the weight of that, and maybe you have too. So my aim in the next couple of minutes is to just simply give you a model that you can reproduce over and over and over and over again. The first first thing is this, be patient. Be patient. Here's what I mean by this. Um, People who are sick, people who are facing some sort of illness, disability, disease, whatever it may be, they have spent their whole lives being dependent on someone else. This requires them to ask things of people that they would not want to ask. In other words, they spend their lives inconveniencing people. But here's the reality love is inconvenient. And think about Jesus. Jesus was in heaven, living in the ideal, living in new, living in perfection. And he came down and inconvenienced himself for you and for me, sinners. Jesus models for us what it looks like to step into brokenness and provide healing. Be patient with people who may be in your life who are sick. And if you are sick, be patient with yourself. I, f- I feel that. I have people close to me that have been sick or who are sick currently, and they're hard on themselves because they can't contribute to society in the way that they would prefer to. Don't be hard on yourself. Have compassion on yourself. Jesus may want to use your mess for a message. Okay. Number two be present. Be present. Most people um, don't need something, they need someone. Um, I've heard it said before that we minister with tears in our eyes. One of the greatest gifts that you could give someone who's facing some sort of illness or sickness or disease or disability is to just simply be with them. Sit down and watch the office with them over and over and over again. That would be so fun and so helpful just to laugh and be present with people. We minister with tears in our eyes. Be present with people. Notice that Jesus uh, was... um, Headed towards a festival. There was a festival going on. But Jesus decided he's just going to go intentionally be with the invalids. Jesus was just simply present with people. And he models this for us so that we can be present for people who are sick. Third, be practical. Be practical. Here's what I mean by this. Remove the burden of asking. People who who are sick, live their lives in a state of dependency, and all they do is ask for help and ask for time off and ask for more help and more time off because they're facing this illness and sickness that they have no control over in many cases. Um, They don't want to ask you for help. One of the most unhelpful things that you could do is ask them, hey, what do you need? They spend their whole lives telling people what they need. Initiate, get practical, see a need and act on it. If they're unable to drive to get food, send them some Uber Eats. Love is inconvenient, but technology and all that stuff has made it just a little bit more convenient. Okay, we can rely on the guys who developed Uber Eats and DoorDash and all that jazz. Okay. Um, offer to clean someone's house. They, people who are ill and may have a disability, they have to rely on a care, uh, caregiver to come and clean their home and do their laundry, um, maybe give them a bath, Man, the more you could step into that as a friend, as someone who loves them, and just simply be as practical as possible, it's one of the greatest gifts you could give them. Finally, be prayerful. Be prayerful. I firmly believe that prayer can change things. Jesus has given prayer as a wartime talk- walkie-talkie against the enemy in this kingdom of darkness that we kind of coexist in as believers. Be prayerful. But maybe you're like me in that when I, when I get into a situation where I know I'm about to pray for someone who's sick, I'm asking all those questions. What if God doesn't heal them? How is this going to affect their relationship with God? Um, what if I don't pray the right thing and God doesn't do it? What if I don't have enough faith? What if they don't have enough faith? My hope right now is just to give us a simple script and a simple model for y'all to use one day when you're trying to do ministry to someone who's sick, okay? So I'd encourage you all to pull out your phones. I give you permission. I know we're Baptists here, but you can pull out your phone if you want to. And I'm just going to read a script that all of you can use one day if you need it, okay? Here's what it says. Jesus We ask that you heal, I'm going to use my name, David. But we trust and rest in the promise that you will make all things new. Whether that's now through a miracle or one day in eternity. We ask that you fill, David, with the strength and resolve to be content with whatever your will would be and help David to use this season for your glory and the good of people. Y'all got a picture? Y'all have clarity? Okay, awesome. So here's how I want to close. Imagine with me 20 to 30 years from now. We all have families, or we all have a really healthy community, but people in our world just start to get sick. Y'all are equipped now to step into that brokenness and care just like Jesus did. I think in this room are the best husbands, the best wives, the best friends, the best sons, the best daughters in the world. I think possibly some people in this room could step into vocational ministry and be the pastor that's on the front lines in hospital rooms caring for people and families who are sick. That may be you, that may not be you. But I think all of us here have the opportunity to care for people who are sick in a helpful way and not feel awkward about it and not feel anxious and not feel helpless when you're, when you're asked to step in to an opportunity like that. We're gonna close by doing two things, okay? We're about to sing a song we just sang a minute ago called Living Hope. And i want to focus on that word living. In Revelation 21, Jesus says that he will make all things new and these sayings are trustworthy and true. He can't make that promise if he's not alive. But Jesus is alive. That's why we have a living hope and that's why we can sing about that is because we can rest and trust someone who is providentially ordering and directing all things towards the ideal, towards what's right, towards newness and towards perfection. So my encouragement to you is center your affection, center your hope around the risen Jesus tonight. Because he is alive, and he's here, and he wants to walk alongside you. And he may do a miracle one day, or he may not. But one day, he will make all things new. The second thing we're gonna do is, uh, we're we're gonna create a space to anoint people with oil. Now, you may think that's really weird, and I've thought that in times in my walk with Jesus. Uh, you know, My the tradition I grew up in was kind of like Father, Son, Holy Bible, I'm very charismatic. Um, we're gonna go on people with oil. Now you may think that's weird, so let me explain why and explain how, okay? There's a passage in James, in uh, James chapter five, that says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Here's what James is saying there. Prayer does change things. Okay. But we anoint with oil, um, we, we, we practice that simply as an expression of entrusting ourselves into God's care. We recognize that Jesus will make all things new, and we're simply taking a posture of dependence and trust. And, and that's all really anointing with oil means. There's no healing power in the oil. Like, God doesn't like, in, like indwell himself into Publix, great, you know, that's Walmart. I was gonna say great value man, that's Walmart. God doesn't like, you know, do his thing in and, and the oil. It's just simply an expression of entrusting ourselves into God's care. Okay. And I imagine that there's some of us in the room tonight that may have just gotten some really bad news, or you did maybe a season or two ago, and we wanna invite you to just simply come up to the front and be anointed with oil and be prayed over, okay? Now here's how this is gonna go down. Myself, Isaac, my good friend Anna Pratt, and uh, the rock star, the table queen, Dana Fricker, will be up front, okay? Um, We're gonna be kind of spread out here. Um, We're gonna have oil, we just want to simply pray over you okay so if you're experiencing some sort of illness sickness disease this is a safe space we want to invite you to be cared, cared for in this moment okay lucas and the band are going to pad or we're going to be down front okay let's do it
0: sing to him. If you need prayer, this is the time for it. If not, why don't you stand with us as we sing together. Inspiration, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night, then through.